0: Hello, oh, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Maddie Sherl. How's it going, Maddie?
1: It's going great. How are you?
0: I'm doing really well. Uh, we've had you on the podcast a couple of times, one time this year, but I wanted to bring you back on to talk a little bit about the the myriad of different articles that you've been writing for The Pulse. Uh, since you've come back, you've been doing just a ton of different things in getting to flex your, your writing muscles in different ways. And you've written a lot of really unique stories, uh, many of them based on personal. personal. Personal experiences. You're the type of person who goes out and does things and then writes about them, which is really great, Uh, especially for any time that you've done something for the first time or sharing an experience that maybe people haven't had or have had. And it's good to be reminded of like what a beginner to this thing looks like. That's been my big thing reading your articles, just seeing that like first time perspective has been really cool. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about some of those things that you've been doing uh, and to kind of get your workflow and talk about some of the experiences that you've had. So I think the, the first one that I want to jump into is one that you're doing right now, and it's an ongoing series where you've been profiling different beaches in the county. You've done two of them so far, and you've got a third one coming up. I know that the, the second one is going to be in this week's issue of The Pulse, correct?
1: Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: so taking back to the beginning, why did you want to go out and do these beach profiles? Is you know, is that something that was important to you? Like, I want to get on on the beaches because I'm passionate about beaches, or was it more like you know, it would be a really great way to spend the summer going to each beach in Door county? What was the the thought process behind starting the series?
1: I think that there's a lot of different reasons why um, me and Aaliyah Kid thought that it would be a good idea to do a beach series, but one of them definitely is that we're just trying to push a lot of the outdoor activities, things that people can do and be safe. And um, also, I I think it's important that by highlighting beaches, hopefully we're also emphasizing that people should be also staying distant on beaches (laughs) because it's not a free-for-all, of course. But um, And also with the water being so high, I kind of wanted to like spotlight some places where people could still experience beaches, even if they are small or or whatever, um, because things have changed so much, probably since a lot of people have been here last. So.
0: Right. So tell me about the first one that you did. It was Sand Bay Beach, correct?
1: hmm. Yeah, actually, that was one that I had never been to before. So I thought it it would be fun to kind of check it out, see what it looks like. And also it is a little bit off the beaten path, which I know maybe people were a little bit upset <laughs> that it was featured. But I think that, I mean, yeah, it's a really beautiful place that I wanted other people to be able to experience who maybe hadn't been there before like me.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the the quote unquote controversy of, <laughs> of the beach because we, we got a lot of feedback on that article about, you know, don't share the local places or, or now this place is run amok because you featured it. And it it's interesting that you got to experience that kind of pushback because i got to experience it a year ago or two years ago now at this point when we featured sand bay beach in a video for destination door county Uh, and it was much the same thing Uh, people were like oh no this was our beach and now it's you you're telling everybody about the secrets and it's one of those things that you kind of have to ride the line on so like the pulse tries not to publicize the, the true local spots in terms of like the places where you can go and not see anybody else and it's kind of like a local secret we do our best to try to do that but at the same time uh we do want to highlight places that uh, are unique and highlighting a place that fewer people go to right now i don't think is going to drive everybody to it uh but it is going to give people an option especially right now with COVID-19 having more options to kind of spread out and and to get around i think is a good thing so uh it, w- it was interesting to see those comments coming in because they mirrored the comments that i received when i featured Sand Bay beach as well so um I hope that that didn't deter you from your beach series. <laughs> I hope that you're still excited about doing it. Tell me tell me about uh, kind of reading the comments and, and deciding what to do next.
1: Um, well, I thought I kind of all the things that you mentioned were kind of running through my head. At first, I was like, oh, no, like I didn't want to, you know, have revealed a secret. But it, it's a town park and it's something that I think that a lot of people knew about. Um, Before And also I was kind of thinking from my perspective as someone who is not a local, but who, um, is very invested in Door County and who loves it. I wanted other people to maybe see that perspective of like someone who I'm not, I'm not going to San Bay beach because I want to like clog it up with tourists or anything. I I'm going because, um, I love Dora County as much as an ex person, and it's another gorgeous place. So that's kind of where I came down on the issue. <laughs> cool.
0: uh, and then for your next beach, you did Egg Harbor Beach, correct? Uh huh. What are some of the more interesting things that you learned about Egg Harbor?
1: Well, I would never have known all of the like improvements and the ongoing like construction and everything that's been happening. And it's really a cool accessible beach. So it's, it's an awesome place if you're, you know, you want to check out a downtown area, but also kind of have the beach experience and also, you know, bring a stroller or bring a wheelchair even, or bring whatever you need. Um, it's, it's not as much out of the way, but it still feels like it's not too crowded. When I was there, at least.
0: Right. Well, and yeah, they, they definitely have expanded that beach quite a bit over the years. Uh, it's also a great beach for equipment rentals, too, because they have, like, I believe they have on site kayak rentals as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a great place to get out onto the water, especially, uh, not just sit on the sand. Uh, but then that beach expansion may even continue in the future as they're looking at maybe expanding with some of the alpine property miles and i had talked about that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago so it, it's a really great beach that is just growing and growing and growing and i think that that is a good thing for beaches a lot of people will be like when, when we're talking about in-town development people are like whoa whoa whoa, slow down we don't want to be the dells but i think <laughs> i don't think anybody complains when we expand the beach a little bit you know what i mean right right so what's next for the beach series? What can people look forward to in your third beach?
1: I think I'm still kind of marinating my third beach, but I think I want to try and do some sort of state park beach where you can hike to it. I know that, um, like, at Newport, there a lot of the, the beach is gone, so we'll see about that. And also Whitefish Bay Dunes is pretty much gone. So I want to kind of find an equivalent beach where... It can be more of a experience to get there, <laughs> so <Right>. stay tuned.
0: <laughs> uh, I think the, the the most exciting beach traveling experience you can have right now is the the beach up on Rock Island, since the whole island is closed. Uh, is that going to be one that you try to like sneak onto the island and write about <laughs> uh, in the future?
1: <laughs> well, I don't anticipate that, but <laughs> that would sure be adventurous, <laughs> right?
0: I, th- I think you can maybe like take a kayak around. Rock Island. Uh, I wouldn't advise it because, you know, it's not super safe with nobody there and that kind of stuff. But you could go around the beach and take pictures that way, I would I would assume.
1: Right. And I actually did do um, a kayak tour around and into the boathouse at Rock Island. Um, and it was guided and everything. And I wasn't alone. But that was really, really cool. And I recommend if people have the chance to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I read that article and, and saw some of the pictures that you took there. And the the Thornton Boathouse is like such a cool spot. I've never been there, but like just seeing inside just this cool like stone facade that's flooded. It almost looks like some sort of like apocalyptic scene where like you're you're going through the ruins of some city because you don't really see that a lot of times. You're not especially allowed into those types of areas the way you are in the Thornton Boathouse. Um, so just a, a really cool thing. Was that your first time being up to Rock Island as well?
1: Yeah, it was. and. I kind of had a similar vibe as you, Andrew, when I when I went in there, I was like, this is such a sophisticated, like gorgeous piece of architecture. And then it's like on this very uh, primitive kind of deserted island. Um, So it was an interesting juxtaposition of those two things. But it was cool because there's also all of the history of um, Chester Thordson, who built the boathouse and and kind of what he envisioned Rock Island to be for himself and and the fact that it became a state park is, I think, a nice evolution.
0: Right. (laughs) So you've been writing a lot of stuff about the outdoors and the environment, uh, and we'll touch on one of series that, that you've been, been working on as well before we jump into some of the more art-focused things that you've been doing too. Uh, but you also did the recent Know Your Grower article on Waseda Farms. Give me a little bit of background on, the, on what the Know Your Grower series is, and then we'll talk a little bit about Waseda Farms specifically.
1: Yeah, the Know Your Grower series I'm just participating in, um, it was... Deborah and Aaliyah's kind of project originally. But um, it's kind of like putting a face to the name of the people who grow our food and and the local people who are providing produce and things um, at markets and in stores. So I think it's a really cool way to kind of connect the dots for people about, you know, where their food comes from.
0: Right. I know that Cold Climate Farms was just featured as as one of them too right right yeah yeah and i think that that's great with with so many local growers and how important like farm to table is for the restaurants up here and how important each of the restaurant tours uh, feels about locally sourcing their food, it's great to be able to, like you said, put that face to the name and, and tell that story a little bit. Tell me about Wasita Farms. Tell me about the article that you worked on. You have kind of a special connection to Wasita Farms right now, right?
1: Yeah, I am actually living at Wasita right now, which has been great. I'm living with my younger brother, which has been interesting, but also good. <laughs> um, and I I worked at Wasita for a summer. It was actually my first summer that I spent, you know, totally in Door County. So it was very special um, when I was 16 um, and now I'm back at Wasita. I'm 21 and it's been really fun to see the evolution of Wasita. And I think a lot of people know Wasita primarily for meat and for um, eggs um, and they do have great meat and great eggs, but also they have a really gorgeous, it's a two acre garden um, that has a bunch of seasonal produce um, and that's been a growing aspect of Wasita, I think. So I talked to Dave Sebright, who is the garden manager um, at Wasita.
0: My my wife is a huge like environmentalist nerd. And when she discovered Wasita Farm, she got really excited about it because she uh, learned about their Temple Grandin uh, like slaughter method, which is a, um, it's a really humane and, and progressive method of, Slaughtering livestock uh, where the animals they they try to reduce the fear that the animals have they try to like increase the lethality so that it's not painful that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a really impressive like scientific system that was specifically built at wasita farms using that method Um, so she got really interested in it that way and then we started going to get meat from there and that kind of stuff at their little shop Um, tell me a little bit more about the the produce side of stuff.
1: So the garden was originally started by Sharon Lutze, who is now retired, but it, to me it seems like it was created, and I don't know if this was the goal, but just as much to like look gorgeous as to produce gorgeous produce. And it's all organic um, and there are just these lovely rows of plants and I've taken to like sitting there at night and it's just so Zen. So I definitely recommend if you stop by with Sita um, on Lagerquist road and walking through the garden, it's a great, great thing to do. Um, yeah. And it's got, it's got a lot of different rotating stuff and, and the yield isn't maybe as large as some other farms because it's a garden, but there's a lot of variety. So that's been cool to see, you know, what comes out every week.
0: Well, and they, they both supply to different places up here in Door County, but then you can also purchase there on the farm, correct?
1: hmm Yeah, and right now they actually have Pick Your Own Raspberries, which I have been very into. They're <laughs> it's fun to, you know directly, like we're saying, see where your food is literally growing out of the ground from. And then it's it makes it all that more satisfying when you're eating it later. <laughs>
0: right. Well, and, and how cool to be able to actually pull up to the location where the food is being created and purchase it directly there uh, without purchasing it like wholesale or something like that. Uh, I think they have a really cool system set up there that's both you know great for people to shop locally, but also as, as a way to kind of uh, disseminate that product out throughout the county so you can find Wasita meat on menus around the county at different restaurants um and it's always cool when a restaurant will list where they're sourcing things from and when you see something like Wasita steak or something like that on a menu Mm -hmm. you're like this this came from just down the road and you, you can't get fresher than that so i think that's that's a really cool thing that they've got going on yeah definitely and it's not something that's unique to them either. And I think that the Know Your Grower series is a really great way to kind of to showcase that and to show just how many places up here are supplying food locally. And and so that, you know, when you're going out to a great restaurant, you're also getting food as fresh as possible. So cool work on that. Uh, let's move on to some of the more uh, artistic things that you've been writing about. Maddie, what's what's your like education background? What did you go to school for?
1: Well, I am a senior at the University of Notre Dame and I am a program of liberal studies major, which I always ask to give the elevator pitch for that because it's weird, but (laughs) it's essentially a great books program. So English and philosophy and art history and uh, music history and a little bit of theology, you know, kind of all over the place. Um, And I'm an art studio minor. So I kind of have this focus in Broadly, literature and fine arts. So, I've really enjoyed writing about the art scene here.
0: Great. So, when you were asked by your counselors freshman year, they were like, So, why did you? Why did you come to a liberal arts college? What do you want to study? And you just said, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Everything.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So you do have a, a background in all these different types of things. Tell me about some of the different artistic things that you've written on so far. I know that one that I saw recently was kind of like an art journaling project that you had taken up. Tell me about the inspiration for that.
1: So the art journaling piece was there. Um, what is a practitioner named Jody Rose Gonzalez and she was at the spot sacred grounds and she um is a i believe she's a certified art therapist but essentially she kind of combines practices of yoga and art journaling to um facilitate like self awareness and to calm you down and i think that i've been focusing kind of on these therapeutic methods of art recently because everything is so high stress and it's really important to be able to connect with yourself and take that kind of quiet time and art is a really great way to do that.
0: So what was this project uh, in in practice? What did you actually do throughout this, your writing of this article?
1: So I talked to Jody Rose about kind of the, I didn't really expect there to be more I don't know this sounds ignorant to me, but the scientific background behind what your brain does when it draws things and how we verbalize things is very different than how maybe we would draw or how an idea would resurface from a subconscious place if you're if you're just kind of letting your mind go. Um, so I kind of tried some art journaling exercises, and then I talked to Jody about like how how we can kind of translate the images that might come from doodling, <laughs> um, which is kind of a diminutive word, but um, basically just drawing and seeing where your mind takes you is a really cool exercise.
0: So I, I think most people are familiar with journaling, right? Art journaling is the same thing, but you're drawing things, right? Do you have prompts or are you just kind of drawing what you see? What What was the, the process like there?
1: So usually... Um, there will be prompts and there will be, you know, like guided exercises. Um, and then the important part is the interpreting images afterwards because that's where you get um, the knowledge about maybe what, what's what been on your mind or something that you've been thinking about that you haven't completely maybe realized that you've been contemplating that or holding it with you or whatever. Um, so it's this process of, you know, first – having a prompt. Second, kind of letting your mind follow that prompt where it does. And then third, going back, interpreting maybe what has come from that prompt.
0: And what were your takeaways from actually doing that?
1: So I I guess what I was thinking is that it sounds really intimidating, you know, like our journaling and yoga and all these things that seem like they might require a lot of expertise. But, you know, as you've mentioned, just like, Trying something for the first time is a really freeing thing. And, and realizing that a lot of these practices, like I've written about meditation too, and kayaking, and you know, hiking and running, and all these things, if you just jump into it with proper um, guidance, it's way less scary than it sounds. <laughs> so that's been cool.
0: Are you the type of person who who likes to try a bunch of different things or is that something that you've been kind of like breaking out of your comfort zone over the last year with in, in writing these different articles?
1: Well, I've always loved learning from other people. I think that's one of my favorite things to do. I love being a sponge. So I think that combining learning from experts and kind of taking their advice and what they've said to me to practice has been a really cool, you know, putting two and two together for me. So yeah, I've, I've enjoyed being able to learn and then perhaps also maybe inspire other people to go learn or to go jump into something or try something new.
0: So another project that you've had your hand in is, uh, something that was kind of really spearheaded by Grace Johnson here in, in terms of trying to revitalize the literature section and try to, to push more literary content out. And one series that she kind of spearheaded was this, uh, like influential literature series or, or what's the most influential book that you've read or that kind of thing. Uh, and I was able to do the, the first one to kind of kick us off uh, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about that because I actually got some pretty good response from it. Uh, but you also joined in and, and wrote something as well. Tell me about the the influential book that you wrote about.
1: Well, um, the book that I wrote about is really close to my heart. It's Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Um, And I first read it when I was in seventh grade. And it was just one of those books that I remember reading and like wanting to sink into. And I could tell just how much he loved words and loved working with words. And so I, I went home and I wrote him a letter <laughs> and I was in seventh grade and I like I I decorated the envelope and I included a short story of my own and sent it off. Um, and then he passed away the very next day. So it was devastating timing. My mom like had to tell me in the morning she was like, Ray Bradbury passed away. And and I was so Like, I just remember I had never obviously met the man or anything, but I I was he was such a large part of my life because this book made me want to write as much as he loved to write, you know, so it it was it's a great book besides that kind of connection but that's that is, my connection.
0: That is the saddest story I ever <laughs> heard.
1: So sad. That you
0: wrote to him and you're like, ah, there, now I right. maybe maybe I'll get a response right. and then the next day your mom was like you're not getting a response. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So tell me Tell me a little bit about the book. It's one of those great American books, uh, but I have not read it as I have not read a lot of classics. Most of my most of my literary knowledge comes in theater, um, so I've not read Fahrenheit uh, four fifty one. And it's not Fahrenheit nine eleven, right? It's not the Michael Moore documentary. It is it's nope. something different. So tell me, give me kind of like the two sentence synopsis.
1: So, sh- uh, I guess in short, it's about this dystopian society in the future in which it is illegal to read books and illegal to essentially think for yourself. And this fireman and firemen in this world start fires and burn books instead of put them out. This fireman named Guy Montag meets this teenager named Clarice, and she kind of spurs him to look at literature and question kind of the regime that he's been living under so it it it's kind of got a a structure that we're familiar with i think in literature but it's just the the way he writes is what makes it so unique to me
0: so it's like, it's like Footloose, but instead of dance, it's books.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: okay. It's exactly like
1: Foothouse,
0: Footloose, right? That's, that's the quote that I'm going to take you from? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, what, were, what were some of the things that, that you, I don't know, learned or, or figured out? Because it's obviously a book, a book that you love. So being able to reflect on it and write about it, what did that illuminate for you?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of Layers to what this book has done for me. I think, A, it made me want to be a writer at the very beginning, which is huge for me in my life and kind of, you know, this catapulting into writing later in life is a lot to do with reading great books like Fahrenheit 451. And B, it also, I've revisited it a lot since seventh grade. <laughs> it's really interesting to kind of see maybe... Where it hasn't aged as well, or where Ray Bradbury was a little bit paranoid about technology, or, you know, places where I think that I would question him or, you know, disagree with him or disagree with his point of view, but still being able to hold this book as something that I love while also seeing that there are places where maybe it's a little outdated. <laughs>
0: Well, and you're you're in your senior year at college. I'm sure that you are in the thick of essay writing and all of that kind of stuff. Was it difficult for you? Because I found it really difficult to try to distill my feelings on what was supposed to be one of the most influential books that I've read, to distill those feelings down into like 600 words. Uh, did you find that challenging as well?
1: Oh, definitely. I, I had to take my, <laughs> my kind of college hat off and just... I, what helped me is I just kind of – I I flipped through it again and I, like, looked at some of the phrasing and the things that he used that just, like, emotionally I had a reaction to. And then I could kind of go from there about what I loved about it instead of being overly analytical or, you know, going on and on. It was kind of – I was trying to condense, like – my seventh grade reaction to reading it. <laughs>
0: right. And I, the, the challenge that I had when I wrote was, and maybe this is just a, a fault in the way that I write, is that I, I spend a lot of time trying to set up the point that I'm trying to say so that you have all the information that you need to understand the point that I'm trying to drive home. And then I realized that I'm at like 500 words. And I'm like, okay, now I have to like distill my point down into one tiny paragraph and then wrap this up. Um, the, the book that I did was... Uh, well, it was it was a collection of books. I, I focused more on an author who had an effect on me rather than one particular book. Uh, and I took a look at some of Haruki Murakami's work. He's a prolific Japanese writer. He is maybe the most celebrated contemporary writer in Japan, uh, so much so that all of his books have had incredible international success. Um, and I, I jumped into his books as I was coming back into reading. So I feel like most people our age read a lot when they're young. And then go to school and are forced to read and maybe push back against it. Uh, and then don't read for fun at all for like 16 years. And then come back to reading in, as an adult. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that I used to love to read. And now I have time to do it because I'm not being forced to for school. And so when I jumped back into reading, I wanted to try something totally different. So I picked up a couple of Murakami's books because the the Japanese literary canon is completely different than like the western literary canon. So tropes are totally different in Japanese writing and like the way that that plot structures work and characters work and themes and all of this stuff is totally different because it's a completely different culture. And that was so fascinating when I dived in to read stuff and to to, be, to feel things that were really uncomfortable because I was like, that's not how books are written or like, <laughs> that's not how plots should advance. Being challenged in that way was really cool. And I read uh, two and a half of his books. So I read Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World, which is what I touched on in this book, which is kind of an examination of identity. And I followed that up with Kafka on the Shore, which is... Uh, just a, a book about examining your worst perversions, I would, I would probably call it. And then I got halfway through the Wind Up Bird Chronicle and I just was like, I can't read anymore. My brain hurts so bad because his works challenge you so hard. And I, I put it down not because I was like, this is bad or I'm bored with it. I just put it down because I was like, if I read another one of his words, I think my brain is actually going to drip out of my ears. Like it just, <laughs> when, I would, when I would finish a chapter or put the book down, My brain would feel exercised in the same way that like your body does after a workout. So I was like, I need to take a break. And I jumped back into his works recently. I'm listening to an audio book of 19Q4, which is maybe his most famous book that he's written. So I'm kind of jumping into that. And it was really cool after writing that article because I got a bunch of emails and people talking to me on the street and stuff being like, hey, I also read Murakami's work. And you're right. It is totally different and totally challenging. So uh, it was cool to to kind of get that feedback on that. Um, Have you gotten any feedback on your piece yet? I know that Fahrenheit 451 is probably something that so many more people are uh, knowledgeable about than Murakami's work. But uh, have you heard anything from other people who are like, yes, I love that book, too, or anything? like that.
1: Um well actually it's going to be in this coming issue so it hasn't been released yet but Grace Johnson the um person who kicked this whole thing off she messaged me and she was like oh my gosh Fahrenheit 451 is my favorite too and we had a little bit of a fangirl moment about Ray Bradbury um, one of his other books Dandelion Wine is beautiful. Also, it's just like it sometimes feels a little self-indulgent by Bradbury because it's very nostalgic and kind of like golden tinged. And, you know, it's set in small, like suburban Illinois, which is where I'm from. So it it's just a lovely a lovely book. But anyway, yeah, Grace and I totally had a moment <laughs> about Ray Bradbury.
0: <laughs> well, great. I'm, I'm looking forward to you getting a bunch of emails from folks as well, because <laughs> it seems like this is going to be a really successful series. People, uh, people really kind of connect with these books and these different authors. And I think it's a great idea to be able to share the influential books that have kind of spurred us on our writing careers. And I hope that people uh, have things that they can relate to and we can kind of spur the conversation on in that way. So I think that this has been uh, a really cool project yeah definitely one other project that you have dipped your toes into now uh is the on another note playlist that was kind of started by grace and celeste last year uh, and you've kind of picked it back up tell me what the playlist actually is and then tell me about the first one that you created
1: so the playlist goes out every week on thursdays in the on another note email um, that has traditionally been when Celeste and Grace started it kind of like a preview of the weekend's live music and it's a little different now obviously because there isn't as much live music but um, I've really enjoyed making the playlists and it for me kind of the curation of music is, is so fun. I guess, I don't know, maybe this is my generation or whatever, but I have like a playlist for everything. Like I like being able to try and distill a mood or, you know, make the perfect soundtrack to whether you're with your family or your friends or, or whomever. So, um, I've done a few. I did one about covers that I liked because I think covers are sometimes, um, controversial with music lovers. They're either love them or you hate them. Um, And recently, the one that I'm sending out tomorrow is about music inspired by nature, which I think we've all been hopefully experiencing nature more with social distancing and everything. So it's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it.
0: You know, I don't think that making playlists is, like, a generational thing. Because think about it, like, making a playlist on iTunes or on Spotify, sure, that's definitely this generation. But go back one generation and, like, when I was young, I was burning my favorite songs to CDs from my computer. (laughs) Or if you go back to, you know, the previous generation, my sister was making mixtapes on cassette players and stuff like that. So I, I think that, like... Taking the the music that makes up your like love of music and distilling it down onto one thing, I think that that's kind of a universal thing for people uh, ever since like the 80s and beyond, right? And I'm sure there were probably versions of it even beyond that. I mean, people weren't burning their own vinyl, but uh, I'm sure that there was still like you know, coming up with playlists and, and, and that kind of thing. So I, I think it is more of a universal thing. Even if you don't share it, most people do it. Most people take their favorite songs and put it on their MP3 player. Like my dad has an iPod shuffle that he's had for 15 years that I got him one year and I put like 200 songs on it and he's listened to those 200 songs every every day for forever, which is weird, but that's him and that's how he likes music, but, you know, uh, to your own. Uh, and I think that this is cool too because... Like you said, when when it was used to give a preview of the week, and I think that that's really helpful and really cool. Uh, but you've also gotten creative with it in different ways. I know one of Celeste's playlists that she put out was a hip-hop playlist. Uh, and the different types of music that you can hear up here can get kind of homogenous sometimes. Like there There is a, a variety of different bands, but much of the live music that you see up here is in the same sorts of genres. So being able to kind of curate a playlist of stuff like that you wouldn't hear up here or that you haven't heard up here before. uh, I think that that's a really cool opportunity for the playlists as well. Uh, If people want to listen to these playlists, how do they get them emailed to them?
1: So you can visit Peninsula Pulse website and there is a tab under, I believe it's under live music where you can, subscribe to the on another note playlist so yeah you should all do that (laughs) perfect
0: maddie is there anything else that we haven't talked about today you've been writing so many different types of stuff i hope that we were able to cover at least some of it is there anything else that you're excited about that we didn't talk about
1: well i'm just really i don't know maybe this is a little bit sentimental of me but i've just really enjoyed being able to do all this and jump into things and being you know Having the opportunity to be able to do this has been really, really great. Um, and my second summer here has been awesome. So thank you, Door County. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think I think it's been really great for people who have been reading and watching and listening to stuff that you've been putting out as well. Because, like I said, getting that like first timer perspective, I think is something that people really, really enjoy, either because it's they've grown to. Um, they've grown to take for granted some of these experiences and getting to relive them through fresh eyes is a really great way to like remember like oh yes this is really special either it's that or it's somebody who hasn't tried something and wants another beginner's perspective on it i think that the work that you're doing is not only very fun for you as Mm -hmm. it obviously is but also uh pretty engaging for everybody else as well so it's been cool to cool to see
1: oh thank you yeah yeah been awesome
0: well with that uh we will wrap up for today maddie thank you so much for chatting with me and i look forward to chatting with you again soon thank you thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast if you want to support us at the pulse check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly pulse subscription purchase some incredible door county artwork from pulse artist ryan miller and much more we hope you've enjoyed the door county pulse podcast and we will see you next time